This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, welcome back to Mariner's Pod. Great to have you with us. Gary Hill here. I hope you had a, a pleasant weekend. Mariner's we're in Houston over the weekend. Did not go as they would have liked. We're going to talk about that coming up. We'll also take a look at the next four games, two against the Dodgers in L.A., two against the Dodgers in Seattle. That is not going to be easy either, so we'll talk about that coming up. This is going to be a fun podcast, though. Uh, over the weekend, it was the celebration, the 100th anniversary of the start of the Negro Leagues, and uh, MLB celebrated that over the weekend. We did as well. So a couple of things you're going to hear as we move through this podcast. One is it was part of an interview I have searched for forever. We heard, we've heard we heard half of it before, but I finally, during the course of this offseason, found the other half. Dave Niehaus with Buck O'Neill. It is a great conversation. It was right after... The museum, the Negro League Museum in Kansas City, moved to its current location. And Buck O'Neill was uh, so influential in making that happen. He's going to talk about that. They talk about some of the greatest players Buck O'Neill has seen. And at the end, it's really fun. They talk about a young Ken Griffey Jr. and what Buck O'Neill thinks is in his future as well. So that conversation will come up in a few minutes. Also, we have a feature on Josh Gibson, one of the greats this game has ever seen. We had a chance to catch up with Sean Gibson, his great-grandson, who is in charge of the Josh Gibson Foundation. So he gives us some time, and we talk about Josh Gibson, his impact, and how that legacy plays forward. So that will come up in a few minutes as well. First, let's talk about the weekend Mariners taking on the Astros. Game one on Friday did not go well. Uh, Kikuchi scratched a spot start. Astros, a huge first inning. They go on to cruise to an 11-1 victory. Game two, a different story. This was a close one. Mariners get a good start on the hill. Here's the pitch. Breaking ball. Swing and a miss by Tucker for strike three. And Nick Margavichis has his third strikeout tonight, and there's two outs for the Astros here in the bottom half of the fifth. Mariners, though, couldn't muster much offensively. They did get a long ball from Evan White, which was good to see. And the 3-1 pitch. Swung on and a fly ball into center field, and deep going back is Springer looking up, and goodbye baseball. Evan White with his second home run of the season. Both of them here at Minute Maid Park in Houston. Straight away centered to the right of the batter's eye, and the Mariners get on the board here in the top of the eighth. It's now the Astros two, and the Mariners one on White's second home run of the year. How about that way to go, kid? Yeah, but it would end that way. Two to one, the Astros win, so they take the series. Mariners looking to salvage the finale yesterday, and they got another excellent start, this time from Justice Sheffield. Here comes the payoff pitch. 
right down the pipe, 93-mile-an-hour fastball, and it freezes Toro for out number three. Sheffield, another six strong innings today, this time in Houston. So the second start in a row, Sheffield has turned in a good one and against two really good offensive clubs. First it was Colorado, then it was Houston yesterday. But in the end, a walk-off, 3-2. to two. Houston gets the win in the bottom of the ninth, a solo blast. So the Astros sweep aside the Mariners in three games. First, let's hear from Justice Sheffield putting together another fine start. Justice, um, getting the start on this day and what it was commemorating, uh, the 100th anniversary and all that, did that mean a little extra to you to get it to start on a day like today where they're celebrating the Negro Leagues and what that meant? Yeah, definitely, 100%. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you kind of step back and, and, and recognize that um, the reason why you're even out there um, playing the game. And uh, for us to be able to celebrate, um, you know, the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues is, is huge and, and amazing. And, um, you know, there's not many of us out there, you know, pitchers especially. So, you know, to be able to get a start on, on this day, is, is, it meant a lot. This is a back-to-back strong starts for you, the uh, real encouraging boost for you. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I'm just going out there trying to do the same thing, attack guys and keep the game close and, and uh, you know, keep us in the ball game. Um, you know, luckily or unfortunately we uh, fell short today, but, um, you know, that's that's my main goal every time I'm out there. So if you got out of the trouble in the second, you know, D makes the air, they get a run, there's some traffic on, you make the pitch to Redick. But Scott's talked about you seem to have an ability to pitch out of jams and not let it spiral. Have you always had that? And what's the key to finding ways to get out of jams? Yeah. Um, you know, it's just got to dig deep, um, take a step off the mound, uh, catch my breath, and uh, get back to work. Um, you know, things are going to happen. Uh that's the name of the game. Uh, so you gotta you gotta expect those things to to happen and, and not you know let it take over your game. And um, you know really I just wanted to continue to make my pitches and um, you know ended up getting the ground ball you know right back right back to D. So um, you know it was uh, one of those things where I just wanted to continue to make my pitches. So there's, there's that. From a from a preparation standpoint, right throughout the week and going into the game and stuff. Do you think you've found everything, you know, you've had these starts, everything's been pretty consistent. Do you think you found the routine throughout the week to go into this that you want going forward? Yeah, I feel like I have a pretty strong routine. Um, that's one of those things where at the beginning it's kind of here and there, especially with the season uh, that we're having now, um, especially going through on a six man rotation. So, um, you know, be able to get those first couple starts in and, Kind of getting getting that routine, getting uh, the comfortability of going every sixth day, you know, it, uh, makes it a whole lot easier. Justice between the you had a chance to work with with Joe last year. Obviously, the, the see him get his first first knock in RBI today must have been good to see. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Um, you know, he did a hell of a job back there. Also, calling pitches, um, you know, keeping me locked in the game, and for him to to get his first knock and RBI, uh, that was just a cherry on the top. So. Um, you know, very happy for him. Justice, between the Rockies last week and the Astros this week, that's two pretty pretty tough lineups to face back-to-back. That's got to be a pretty good confidence boost to work through them like that, yeah? Yeah, I love the competition. Um, you know, I feed off the competition. Uh, so um, no matter who's up there or what team it is, you know, I'm still going to go at them and, um, 
you know, give them the best that I have uh, for as long as I can. Well, there it was Justice Sheffield who threw a very nice game against the Astros yesterday. Now, last time out, Sheffield and Dunn were very good back-to-back. So Justin Dunn is going to get the ball in game one of this brief two-game series in L.A. and then two more back here in Seattle right after that. And it's not going to be easy. The Dodgers, the best record in the National League, first place in the West, 16-7 and overall this year. And offensively, they've been dynamite, uh, first in the league in runs scored. In fact, they've been first in the league in runs scores in 2019, 2018 before that, first in home runs as well. They were first in home runs in 2019 and 2018. They consistently batter the ball all over the place. So it's going to be a real challenge for Justin Dunn. 640 first pitch from L.A. tonight in game one of this series. Then tomorrow, 410 first pitch. Marco Gonzalez will take the ball against L.A. As the Mariners will go head-to-head with one of the beasts in Major League Baseball. So we'll talk about uh, the two games in L.A. coming up on Wednesday. Right now, why don't we turn back the hands of time and hand it over to Dave Niehaus, who had a chance, this is the mid-90s, with Buck O'Neill. Last year, and during the course of a year, we do so many interviews, and and we get a lot of response, but no more response, I think, than the two-part interview we did with Buck O'Neill prior to uh, him... uh, Really going out and, and getting work done on the uh, Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And today, uh, yours truly and Ron Fairley and uh, Kevin Kremen and Chip Carey had a chance to drop by 18th and Vine and look uh, at a lot of his work, but mostly photography. Uh, and it's going to be traveling around the country. So if it gets near where you are, be sure and go out and see it. And this is really just the beginning, isn't it, Buck? I mean, you put That's many, right. many hours in on this thing. Yeah, but enjoyable hours. I'll bet. I'll yeah. bet. And you're really just beginning to scratch the surface, and now you're going to be, I guess, basically the curator of the museum also, aren't you? How much How much memorabilia do you have gathered? Quite a bit. Well, quite a bit, and we're going to get more. Get more because it's, it's a lot of stuff hidden in the attics, and not hidden, but the grandparents are gone and the kids, it's there. But they didn't even look at it, see. So we're going to get a lot of stuff to go in the museums. And we got a lot of stuff in Cooperstown that it's not on display there that the fellas sent, and we're going to get that stuff. You're going to get that from Cooperstown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how is it, how's it public received? It's, only, it's been less than a week since it's been open, but, I mean, uh, we saw several people in there today. Yeah, and you, well, you've and got nice ads in the Kansas City paper. Yeah. The Kansas Star, they've been very good to us by advertising this, and a lot of people are coming. We had quite a few people uh, after you left from down there. Uh, uh, the guy called me, I guess it must have been 4 o'clock, said the place was full. Uh, the 12th man to go in the museum. There are 11, uh, not in this museum, but in the museum, uh, the Hall of Fame Museum in Cooperstown. You have an empty locker there. And you have several guys that you can vote for. I happen to vote for you, by the way, today. And uh, Ron Fairley did also. Who do you think should be the 12th man uh, from the old Negro Leagues to go into Cooperstown? Leon Day. Why? And what did he play? Leon Day was a pitcher for the Baltimore Eli Johns and the Newark Eagles. Outstanding pitcher. And one of the main reasons now we had other great pitchers 
I think should be there. But why I would like to see Leon go, Leon is the only one left that's living because I don't think I should be in that, in the, in that voting. Why not? Well, because I, I wasn't that good. I was, a, I was a good ball player. I was a good ball player, but the Hall of Fame is, to me, is you got to be better than good. You're a great ball player. That's why the guy, the guys that, that's in the Hall of Fame now, they were a cut above everybody else. That's why they're in the Hall of Fame. But anybody that played in the, in the, in the major leagues or anybody that played in the Negro League had to have been good. Mm-hmm. See, but you had the guys that were better than good. I, I want to talk about some of the guys that are in it. You, you told me last year the greatest ball player you ever saw, and we looked at his locker today. What kind of a guy was Oscar Charleston? Oscar Charleston could actually could do it all. And uh, why I say this is uh, Oscar, the closest thing to Oscar Charleston, this is what we old-timers say who saw them all, was the closest thing to Oscar Charleston was Willie Mays. Right. The closest thing to Oscar was Willie Mays. Uh, Oscar had a little more power than Willie. Oscar was a little quicker than Willie. Oscar's arm was a little stronger than Willie's. And Oscar's range was as good as Willie's. If you really look, if you really look at the pictures down there at the museum, you see uh, the Birmingham Black Barons and mm-hmm. a 15-year-old in the background, Willie Mays, played my That's friend. right. That's right, and I, 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 I first saw him with the Birmingham Ball Club, uh, uh, and uh, Willie was, uh, we were playing him in the, in the playoffs, and uh, I had never seen Willie before, and I said, Piper, I said, uh, who's this kid you got out there in center field? I said, Buck, you got to see him. I said, okay, I'll see him. So a guy hit a ball, to center field, and it was, you know, it was long enough. The guy going to tag up and, and go to third base on the ball, because the ball was a long ways. And when the guy got to third base, the guy got the ball waiting for him. I said, ooh, that kid can throw pretty good. I said, but anybody will get all one good throw. So the test came, the guy hit the ball to right center, and the guy on first base, this is a base hit, you know, like, to right center, and Willie goes to his left and gets that ball here and pivots, turns, and threw a strike to third base, and he threw that guy. I said, Piper, yeah, this kid can play. And, oh, man, it was, you know, and, and this was, he was just learning to play, but he was so natural. You didn't have to teach him too much. You know what? You don't get a same play that much. You get a same play every time we come through here, but I think that the Mariners have a kid in center field that uh, it's a little early. This is his fifth year. He's only 23 years of age, but he may end up being the greatest center fielder of all time. He's got a chance. You really think he's got a chance. chance. He's got a chance. He's got this chance to be one of the best ball players that ever lived. You think so too? Of course. Look at him. You see him? <laughs> I, 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 I look at him and I look at him. I'm praying last night, don't let this guy come up. <laughs> you understand? But he just, just, it's a treat to see him. And every time you hear, I got to be here. I want to see him hit batting practice too. I come early enough, I want to see him hit batting practice. And, and I ain't going to never leave. 
until cause actually we could be beating you by 20 runs. I ain't gonna never leave. Not as long as he's gonna come out the next inning. And, and, and another thing too, he might do something out there you've never seen before in your life. He already has. As That's far right. as I'm concerned, I broadcast thousands. Something you've never seen before in your life. I tell you what, I hope you get to bring the the exhibit to, through Seattle here in the not too distant future because it, it's a treat to see yeah. uh, what you put together. Mm-hmm. We appreciate the visit. Stay healthy. You look great. I'm gonna do the best that I can. Have a tremendous winter. Okay. Thank you. And the thank same you. to you. Thank you. Hard to beat, Dave and Buck. That was sensational. Now we learn a little bit about Josh Gibson with Sean Gibson, his great grandson and executive of the Josh Gibson Foundation. Josh Gibson, one of the best baseball players of all time and perhaps the greatest slugger who has ever lived. His Hall of Fame plaque in Cooperstown credits him with almost 800 home runs during his fabulous 17-year career. His power was legendary, with stories of 600-foot home runs and long balls that left stadiums, including the only home run to ever completely leave Yankee Stadium. And according to Satchel Paige, it's true. How about Josh Gibson? Did he really hit a fair ball out of Yankee Stadium? Yes, he did. Uh, uh, Josh was one of those uh, superhuman people like that when come along It'll all be a thousand years before another man come along like that. And it wasn't just the power, winning multiple batting championships in the Negro Leagues. Like Ted William and Joe Maggio, if you want me to tell you the truth. His feats were legendary. The stories you hear about Sash and Josh, 90% are true. Most of the other guys, 90% are lies. Josh could hit. I mean, when he was in the Negro Leagues, Campanella was never starting catching an All-Star game. It was Josh Gibson, big 6'3", 225 pounds hit and run, but he came in our dugout one day and told the manager, he said, Andy Porter, old John's gonna hit you over that fence and that fence, and you know I feel good tonight. <laughs> I think I'm gonna take you over that center field fence too. He got two out of three, hit the left field fence, ball hit off to the right field wall, next time straightway center field. Gibson was sensational defensively with a rocket for an arm, a powerful quick release that cut down any runner trying to swipe a bag. So today we celebrate the legacy of Josh Gibson as we have a conversation with his great-grandson, Sean Gibson, who is the executive director of the Josh Gibson Foundation. I think most baseball fans know Josh Gibson, know of Josh Gibson. I'm not sure they all know how legendary and great of a player Josh Gibson was. Tell us about Josh Gibson, the player. Well, Josh Gibson, the player, as you mentioned, was a phenomenal player. You know, 6'1", 215 pounds, as my grandfather would say, muscular built, no steroids, just milk. You know, he came from a small town in Buena Vista, Georgia. They moved to Pittsburgh when he was around 12 years old. He started playing sandlot baseball with the Pittsburgh Crawfords. And then he started playing professional baseball with the Homestead Grays and, 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 and the Pittsburgh Crawfords. You know, Josh played for, I consider, two of the greatest teams in the Negro Leagues on uh, Homestead, Grays, and Pittsburgh Crawfords in his hometown here in Pittsburgh. But we all, you know, when people talk about Josh Gibson, they talk about his home run greatness. And you hear all the stories of him being compared to Babe Ruth, you know, Josh Gibson to black Babe Ruth. But we always say Babe Ruth is the white Josh Gibson. Um, but I will say this, when it comes to Josh Gibson's career playing baseball, you know, you hear all these stories of him hitting the ball at Yankee Stadium or him hitting the ball to Forest Field. You know, we all know he can hit the ball 
but he was also a great catcher. And I don't think people recognize that, you know, we all know the catching position is one of the probably the hardest position playing baseball. It's the wear and tear on your knees. Um, but he played the toughest defensive position in baseball and he, and he had a great career. And, you know, Major League Baseball recognized that in 1972 and made him the second Negro League Baseball player inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, so Josh had many accolades, you know, as being the top 100 players in in the 20th century. You know, he's been in Sports Illustrated. He's had a lot of awards here in Pittsburgh. And for us, it's 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 just an honor to see that the community and the public and people still recognize uh, his talent and still recognize the things that he's that he has done he had, he had done in the game of baseball for the game of baseball I should say. You mentioned a couple of the home runs. There are so many legendary stories attached to Josh Gibson. Do you have a favorite a favorite story that you've run across? You know, the one thing I would say is this is that I'm gonna tell you some stories, but the one thing I would say about this, you know, when I was younger uh, about say about 15, 20 years ago, my grandfather Jr. was living. And at that time, I was his driver. So we used to go all over the United States doing autograph signing with the Negro League baseball players. A lot of players were living still back then. And, you know, just sitting in the lobby, hearing these stories about Josh, Satch, all the guys that had passed on, these, these players who actually played against them. And, you know, of course they talk about the home run stories. But, you know, it, to me, it seemed like so mythical. Like, there's one story where Josh had a game here in Pittsburgh and they were playing the Philadelphia Stars. And they said Josh hit a ball so high in the air, the ball never came back down. And the next day, they're playing the Philadelphia Stars in Philly this time. And they said, all of a sudden, the ball comes off the sky. And guy catches the ball from the Philadelphia Stars and said, the umpire called Josh out from yesterday's game. You know, you hear those stories like that. Of course, you hear the stories about hitting the ball at Yankee Stadium. Supposedly, the house the house roof built, but Josh Gibson knocks the ball at the stadium. Um, you know, here in Pittsburgh, Forest Field is right next to the University of Pittsburgh, and they have a building called Cathedral of Learning, classroom building. There's stories of Josh getting Josh Gibson hitting home runs inside the cathedral building. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stories about Josh hitting these monster home runs. Um, and, you know, you can go on and on and on. But what I will say is about the players, you know, all the players had everything great to say about Josh. I mean, it was just between him being the type of baseball player that he was. And the stories that really fascinated me was not really the baseball stories. It was more the Josh the person. You know, it's, a lot of guys say, you know, he was like one of those happy-go-lucky type guys, a jokester, you know, had like a, a friendly demeanor. Um, so those are the stories I like to hear about my grandfather is the type of person he was off the field. Tell us about the foundation and the work that you're doing. So the Josh Gibson Foundation was actually founded by my grandfather, Josh Gibson Jr., the son of Josh Gibson, who also played uh, in the Negro Leagues the last year of the Homestead Grays, uh, 1949-1950. And it was his idea to create a foundation that would only not keep his father's legacy alive, but also the other great players of the New Leagues. And, of course, the two teams that we have here in Pittsburgh, which will be the Grays and the Crawfords. 
Uh, once I got out of college, I got involved with the foundation in 1995 and began adding incorporating our programs, which consist of from after-school programs to mentoring programs to summer camps, uh, baseball academy, as well as a curriculum in the schools. So we've been blessed to be able to have three locations here in Pittsburgh. Um, we serve inner-city youth ages from five years old up to 18 years old. And, you know, due to COVID, things have slowed down, but we're still moving forward. You mentioned the 100-year celebration, a big day, obviously. How meaningful is this day and this celebration? Well, it's very important. It's very meaningful. Um, it's proud to be a descendant of Josh Gibson and to be able to recognize not only his accomplishments, his accomplishments, but the other great players. Uh, the one thing I do want to mention is that, you know, uh, who I think doesn't get enough credit is Rue Foster. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of these interviews that I've seen, barely his name is mentioned. And, you know, we all know Rue Foster, you know, he was a player for the Chicago American Giants, but he was a founding father of the Negro Leagues. And me personally, I believe if there wasn't no Negro Leagues, there would not be a Josh Gibson. Mm. So all credit goes to Rue Foster for having a mastermind back in those days to feel like, okay, well, if you won't let us join you, we'll create our own league and play against you. So it's very important that, you know, we're all celebrating this. And I know all the MLB players and coaches and umpires will wear a patch to memorate the Negro League. So, um, you know, I'm happy to see that even though with the pandemic, I'm happy to still see that MLB is still doing something. And D. Gordon will pay tribute to his legacy today by wearing a special set of Josh Gibson wristbands. Josh Gibson was one of the most prolific Negro League baseball players. He was a catcher who hit, from what I've been told, 800 and something home runs. And from what I've been told, he had the most power that anyone has ever seen. So he was definitely a 5-2 baseball player. He just never got a chance. He just played baseball in the wrong era. If you played in the right air, probably been the best player to ever live. A special day in Major League Baseball as we celebrate one of the greatest who ever lived.